Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director, and this is The Daily D.C., Thanks so much for listening. Today on the podcast, our Friday feature, I am joined in studio by my colleague Dan Merica. He's CNN political reporter and the man for CNN on the campaign trail. Um, Dan, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So we have some uh, breaking news this Friday afternoon in, in the race for the 2020 Democratic nomination, and that is that the first debate, which is only a couple of weeks away now, uh, with this enormous field of candidates, uh, the stage has been set today. NBC announced which 10 are going to be on the first night of debate and which 10 are going to be on the second night of debate. So that, of course, uh, is reason for instant analysis that will probably amount to nothing in just a few days. But um, but it's fun fodder for us to start with. So let's talk about it. <laughs> exactly. So my I will my first observation is that on debate one, Wednesday, June 26th, um, among the top five candidates in the race right now, debate one only has one of them, Elizabeth Warren. Now, I look at that, Dan, and uh, feel free to disagree with me, but I look at that like an enormous advantage for her because um, she's like the heavyweight alone on that stage. You've Biden, Sanders, Buttigieg, and Harris, the other four of the top five, on debate two. But Warren gets to, like, be the big dog all to herself on that first night. Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, I, I, I think any of the four top-tier candidates who are on the second night debate would trade places with her, uh-huh. generally. Maybe it's less obvious for, like, a Pete Buttigieg or a Kamala Harris, uh, because I think it does help them to be, you know, flanking Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden on the on the Thursday night debate. Uh, but it's pretty clear that Elizabeth Warren is the heavyweight in that debate. She's going to be the one who draws all of the focus, which means, uh, you know, all of the moments that come out of this debate. Because you got to remember... There will be a lot of people watching this debate, but most of the people will kind of consume this in either Twitter moments or in how we cover the debate or how the debate is written up in their local newspaper. And that's going to be by moments. And there's going to be these three, four, five, six moments that are really memorable. And those are generally going to be directed at the heavyweights in the debate. So in the second night debate, you're going to have a couple moments with Joe Biden. You're going to have a couple moments with Bernie Sanders. When you are the heavyweight in that debate, you're going to have a lot of the moments. The risk is it's harder to prepare for Elizabeth Warren if she's with these candidates that she you know, may not know as much about. There may not be as much tape out there on them. So maybe you have somebody like a, a Julian Castro or a Tim Ryan or a John Delaney who have to make a name or have to make a moment for themselves, who swings really hard at Elizabeth Warren, thinking that that could be their moment. Now, obviously, there's the risk for them of swinging too hard and hitting themselves in the face. But if they land a blow... That could be uh, their moment, and that could be at the detriment of Elizabeth Warren. Now, everything you're saying is under the premise and the notion that these folks really are looking to mix it up with each other. And I think many of these candidates are looking at, okay, there are 10 of us on the stage. We've got two hours uh, 
take out all the moderator talk time and question asking time, maybe I've got a total of four or five minutes to introduce myself to the largest audience I have had to date. And the notion of trying to take someone down may not be the best way for me to get my message out there, raise some money, get my name ID up. So I I guess I'm, I'm less convinced perhaps than you are that that they're going to come out swinging as as the way to get known. I think they're going to look to see, who, I don't know, who could be the most anti-Trump, who can hit one of their message points in such a resonant way that Democrats walk away wanting to Google their name more and learn more about them. Um, I think at this early stage in the game, I, I think there's more risk than reward in going after somebody. I thought that was the case two weeks ago. But I think the last two weeks, and we can talk about this later in the podcast, but the last two weeks have shown that they're willing to mix it up with each other on certain issues. And so, sure, some of them are being more careful than others. Pete Buttigieg is talking about Joe Biden's age without talking about Joe Biden's age. Beto O'Rourke got to that point this week. Then you have the candidates who are talking about democratic socialism and who are very directly going after Bernie Sanders for his brand of politics. So, yeah, two weeks ago, I would have said that it was going to be a friendlier, more introduce yourself. Here's what I want to do. Here's my policy proposals debate. I'm not sure that's going to be the case anymore, especially because the DNC already announced the thresholds for the third and fourth debates. So for some of these candidates, this may be their only moment on the debate stage if they're unable to make that those third and fourth debates. And so they might have to kind of, to use a baseball term, get up there and swing hard because they know it's all they've got. Okay. I'll buy that theory. We'll see. <laughs> um, you mentioned Tim Ryan and Julian Castro uh, in that first uh, debate that Elizabeth Warren is sort of headlining on, on the uh, first night of debating. I also think there's a big opportunity for Cory Booker and Beto O'Rourke uh, on that debate stage because there's limited oxygen, right? So if if all the top tier is stacked in that second debate, perhaps Booker and O'Rourke, who's polling, you know, is down in the 2-1% range overall right now, the, the two of them, um, but they are the next two in line. They'll be flanking Warren most likely, uh, I guess, on that debate stage uh, if they're doing the podium order by, by polling. Uh, they get a stature increase, perhaps, that if they were on the stage on the second night with some of those others, they may not have had. Yeah, just by the optic, just by standing near the middle of the stage, that will help them. Uh, you also have candidates like Jay Inslee, who has a very clear message and will be able to hit that message. Julian Castro has had a pretty fulsome policy message over the last few months, who I think are – this debate has the chance to be – uh, a little more policy focused. You, you're going to see Jay Inslee try and hit climate change at every answer. You're going to see Julian Castro try and mention his many policy rollouts. But I think you're right in the in terms of Cory Booker. It will help him to be basically in the middle of that stage. I'm not sure Beto O'Rourke is happy with where I would. It would surprise me if the, if his campaign were happy with where he's at right now because I think he wanted to be in the debate with Biden because this week he teased that he wanted to go after Joe or, or he went after Joe Biden on the age stuff. And so, I think that he's not going to be able to do that because he's not on the same stage as the vice president. Now, you say it's on the age stuff. Here's my theory on the generational stuff. It's not just about age. It's about – because Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are old. I mean they're they, – she's going to be 70 in the next 10 days and he is – and Bernie Sanders is the oldest person yes. there is. I'm just saying – the three front runners in this race right now are actually the three septuagenarians and the mm -hmm. oldest in the race. 
But Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren still make a generational change kind of argument and have – certainly Bernie Sanders has appeal with young people. We saw that last time around and we still see it this time around. So it's not just the number and the age. I think the thing that O'Rourke and Buttigieg are doing, yes, they are younger candidates. I get that and that is the instant visual. But I think that they're trying to sell that it's time for a, a generational shift in – thinking and the way we do our politics and the way we present our policies, uh, it's more than just you don't want an older guy. That, you're absolutely right because Bernie Sanders' message is resonating with young people because it's more – it's forward-looking. It's more you know, what young people are supporting at this point. Um, but I do think the visual of Pete Buttigieg, who is 37 years old, standing next to Bernie Sanders and Vice President Joe Biden on a debate stage, just that visual alone. Say you have the TV on mute and that's all you're seeing. That is a pretty powerful point that he doesn't even have to say anything. Yeah. And it's pretty obvious that it's a different generation. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, I am on that second night and I, I hear what you're saying. I The flip side of this is, I think, so you were just talking about Inslee, Castro, some of these other people that don't get a ton of attention on that first night Mm -hmm. will get attention. But I think if you are Kirsten Gillibrand, Eric Swalwell, John Hickenlooper, or Michael Bennett, you have a much tougher task on that second night being in the lower tier of candidates because – there are four top-tier candidates in that on that stage, and they are going to consume so much of the oxygen. And whether or not it's because everyone's attacking Biden and therefore he gets more talk time because he gets to respond to that, or it's because uh, they are where a lot of the question and issue set is directed initially, those four folks who really do need to – In order to continue to fuel their candidacies, they do need a moment of getting recognized. I think it's tougher on that second night for them. Yeah. There are a few campaign aides from those campaigns who say they're happy to be on the same debate with Biden because it, it that moment theory, it allows them to create some moments because if they go after the heavyweight, you always want to punch up. And so they want to punch up and see if they can kind of, you know, by, by virtue of punching up, it pulls themselves up there. Okay, but that's, but but the that's very difficult to do. But is the do. news coverage yes. going to be about the Sanders contrast with Biden or the Hickenlooper contrast? Is the news coverage going to be about the Harris contrast with Biden or it's going to be about the Michael it's Bennett a, contrast with Biden? It depends on how good that line well, is. You know, all these candidates are going to go in there with, you know, one or two lines that they plan on delivering. Yeah, and sometimes they deliver them in really awkward, rehearsed ways, and, and that, it doesn't land at all the effect that they're looking to and have. That, and that becomes the awkward moment. <laughs> Um, I do think, and maybe this is just the television producer and me, the way that this worked out, I know it was a total random draw. So just so folks understand, the way the DNC did this, they they wanted to ensure that there wouldn't be an undercard debate like there was in the 15 cycle on the Republican side. They didn't want just the also-rans on one stage. Um, they wanted everyone to have a shot in prime time. They wanted everyone to have an equal shot at being on the stage with the front runners. So they did two simultaneous random draws. One – for the nine people in the field that are polling an average of 2% or above and one for everybody else. And that way they divided that top tier and the bottom tier among the stage. But it was random drawings. Well, guess what? As we're talking about, it worked out that of the top five, four on one stage and one's on the other. And and so the randomness actually didn't work to their benefit. So here I think – there may be a big differential in television ratings of how many people watch these two nights, right? You Just think, by the random you... draw, one night got more uh, commercial appeal, if you will. 
you think viewers will know that going in? That they'll they'll be more in tune to maybe the second night because they know you know Joe Biden and Bernie no, Sanders. I don't know. I, that first night may tee up that second night, and then so naturally the second night may have gotten a little bit more buzz because yeah. there was a debate the night before, and it has all the heavy hitters on it. You know, I mean, there would there, the way to correct this, and not to you know, the way to correct this is to increase that two percent polling average so that you get maybe the, only the top five are then split up, and then you split them up three and two, and then you have maybe a more weighted. So you don't have the Elizabeth Warren situation where she's the only person in the top five who's right. in one night. This way, the top tier was declared, uh, the nine. way they did it, nine people. Yeah. And nine is not really how we talk about the top tier. It's a bit of a stretch. A bit of a stretch. But I, I can tell you, I, I actually saw Pete Buttigieg walking out of our, our building earlier today. And That's a tease for his appearance yes. on State of the Union with Jake Tapper on Sunday. Uh, you can see that full interview Sunday morning live, uh, nine o'clock, not live because it was taped today. Yeah, like, go on. He's very excited about his positioning. What did he he seems you? very upbeat about the fact that he will be on the stage with Vice President Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, who, funny enough, he wrote an essay on when he was a high school student. So the, the contrast is there. A, a praiseworthy he essay. Praiseworthy, I mean, he, very he, he, praiseworthy. Yes. And won an award from the, the Kennedy, Kennedy uh, Library. Profile and Courage yep. uh, process. Yeah, exactly. This but he often, on the campaign trail, uses this line about generational change, and he hits the president by saying in 2054, when I'm the same age as the current president of the United States, uh, my math you know, may be not as great as others, but that will work on Bernie Sanders and, um, and Joe Biden as well. Both of whom are older than yes. the current occupant in the Oval yes. Office, whose birthday is today. Uh, president Donald Trump turned 73 years old today. Uh, we're going to take a quick break to America. Stay right there. We're going to have a lot more right here on The Daily D.C. Welcome back to The Daily DC. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. I am joined in studio this Friday by my colleague, Dan Merica. He is CNN's intrepid political reporter covering all things 2020. Uh, God, you're beat, Dan. You have more candidates than anybody could uh, ever actually keep track of. I don't know how you do it, but I thank you for doing it. Um, so uh, we the state of this race, I think, was altered a little bit in the last week, 10 days or so, when we've seen now three polls, national polls, early state polls, indicate that Elizabeth Warren is really vying for that second uh, position with Bernie Sanders and that there's a real battle going on for who is uh, most positioned to be that Biden alternative, right? Uh, is this – does Warren have momentum? Is this something that uh, – you think has developed because there's Sanders is having some problem. What do you think is at play here? I think there's a couple of things. I think one of the things is that Bernie Sanders comes with a lot of baggage from the 2016 campaign for Hillary Clinton supporters. So when you talk to Hillary Clinton supporters, they say, I will support a lot of people. I will not support Bernie Sanders. Rightly or wrongly, that's what they say. And so Elizabeth Warren offers a pretty good alternative policy-wise to them. And so you'll hear a lot of people who supported Hillary Clinton, who may be a little further left than some on the party, say that they like Warren because of that. Uh, there's also the fact, this perception and, that she is whip smart and that she rolls out policy after policy after policy. And so if, if you're a voter who wants to hear exactly what is going to be done about uh, you know, health care or exactly what's going to be done about taking on big tech, um, or she just rolled out a policy today, I believe, about boosting minority-owned businesses uh, ahead of, a, of a, an event she'll be doing in, in South Carolina tomorrow. It's not just the fact that she rolls out policy. She makes it really understandable. Yeah. Yeah. Like she's, uh, she's a very good storyteller about the policy the, she's rolling out. To the point that voters who may not be as engaged as you know, we are or as her campaign is, they know, they, they, they know about it and they hear about it. And that resonates 
as well very powerfully. And then the third thing I think is there is a large subset of voters who want a woman to be president of the United States and will say, I am going to support a, a woman nominee. And that is going to be what guides them. And I, I do think that that helps her, and spe- especially when you're comparing her and Bernie Sanders. When you talk to voters in the field and that you talk about both of them, she gets uh, a nod from a lot of folks because she's because she didn't run in 2016. She doesn't have the baggage that Bernie Sanders has. She's seen as whip smart and because she's a woman. That baggage you talk about is real, and I think he is uh, keenly aware of it because he's super sensitive when he's asked about it. I I know at uh, one of his CNN town halls earlier this year, uh, one of the voters in the audience did ask him about this, and he just gets very, very – he almost takes a he, he takes offense at it because he cites how many events he did and he says he worked harder than anybody else to get Hillary Clinton elected and um, he did he was an active uh, surrogate and and did what the campaign asked for but never enough it seemed to quell concerns in at least a segment of the Clinton supporter world. I don't think it was that he didn't do enough after he stepped away from his campaign. It's the amount of time between when she had clinched the number of delegates to when he actually stepped away from his campaign that irks Clinton campaign supporters. And, and I certainly talked to a lot of them because I covered the Clinton campaign. So that's I think that's where the they're really they're they're most irked by Bernie Sanders. Of course, to any of you Obama 2008 people listening, there's a touch of irony in that because uh, <laughs> the issue was on the other foot in, yes. in 2008. Um, Bernie Sanders, and I think this is directly tied actually uh, to the Elizabeth Warren rise that we're seeing. He went to um, – uh, he was in, here in Washington, D.C. at George Washington University uh, this week to give a speech on socialism and being a democratic socialist and defining that term and what that means to him and wh- how that connects to his vision and policy. Now, I, many people, uh, political observers are like, wow, that socialist label is such a dirty word in politics. Clearly, the Trump campaign believes that. Clearly, the RNC believes that that would be such an advantage for them. They want to paint who – whoever emerges the Democratic nominee as a socialist and too far left. Uh, but he went out there and leaned into it. And I I don't think that was just about a Biden contrast. I don't think that was just about a Trump contrast. I think that was also very clearly aimed at trying to shore up some of his core support because of the Warren heat he's feeling. Yeah, I, I think he – I mean it's kind of you got to be who you are. And, and the thing that he gets a lot of credit for is being consistent. And, and, and you know, his campaign loves playing or loves – tweeting out or sending out video of him, you know, when he had a little bit more hair from the 1970s, maybe as mayor of Burlington, basically saying similar or exactly the same things that he's totally. saying right now. And so that consistency is a selling point uh, for Senator Sanders. And and that I think that, that was part of it. He leans into it because it's who he is. And if, if, if your calling card is going to be consistency, you've got to lean into who you are. It opens him up, you're right, to attacks from the president who would have found something to attack him on anyway. But this is something that they're clearly very eager to hit him on. Frankly, Hillary Clinton attacked him on it when, when she ran against him. So it's not something that is just reserved for, for Republicans. And I think in this debate, you're going to see a lot of folks who are going who are on the debate stage with him. I mean, one in particular, John Hickenlooper, going after him for that that title, Democratic Socialist. Now, it doesn't seem like Joe Biden is all that eager to go after him. on No, you don't punch down. You're the front runner. I get that. But he Biden was asked by our colleague Arlette Sines in, in Iowa this week um, about uh, Sanders' socialism speech and – he said what basically almost to the, what you're saying that you know this is who he is this is authentic to him and he has every right to go out there uh, 
and explain it. He he did not take the opportunity uh, to suggest that somehow that was outside the mainstream. Or you wonder if that changes when it's not. I'm, I, I think they were in Iowa, uh, and it's on a debate stage uh, when there's a national TV audience watching. Maybe that changes. Maybe it doesn't. But you're right. I mean, he's the front runner. Why why punch down? I think Joe Biden's goal for that debate is going to be stay above it all, say why who you are why you're here and why you should be the next president. But just to note, the the Warren Sanders – I guess I'm most disappointed in this debate split yeah. that Warren and Sanders aren't on the same debate stage because I think what is happening with them right now is fascinating. Our CNN Des Moines Register Iowa poll shows that among Sanders supporters in that poll, 32 percent of them for the in-person caucus attendees – pick Elizabeth Warren as their second choice. Now, you know the way Iowa caucuses work. Second choice matters because of a threshold that you have to meet inside the caucus room and there are multiple rounds of expressing your preference. And there was no other percentage in that poll for second choice as high as Warren among the Sanders supporters. They are battling over huge swaths of the same turf. And who wins that battle is going to determine possibly who wins Iowa and and which one of them is continues on after that. it's going to be fascinating to watch how they differentiate themselves because policy-wise, there are some clear similarities. It's all about how they package it and how they sell it. And uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren has talked about being an avowed capitalist and talked about you know supporting capitalism. Certainly, Bernie Sanders is just a little different in that front. Uh, but but how they package that and how they sell that to voters, I think, is going to determine where that thirty-two percent whether that moves towards Warren or away from Warren. And I think there's going to be, in the long haul, the way you're thinking uh, towards next year, there's going to be real pressure, I would imagine, about if they continue to split this progressive support, you know, that maybe Biden ends up appearing unstoppable. We've got uh, eons to go before then. I'm just saying, I just wonder at one point, because you remember the reporting before the race really got underway. Warren and Sanders had a meeting, mm-hmm. they, and and it was clearly to discuss and size each other up. Are they both going to do this? Are they really? Is there a way to one of them would do this and not the other? Because I think they were aware of this very predicament that they find themselves in right now. And I don't know. I mean, if they both stay in for the duration, they could continue to split that left progressive vote. Don't you think that's what Joe Biden is exactly sure. hoping for? He's like, you know, he doesn't want to hit either of them because he wants them to stay in as for for as long as possible. Because it, suppl- it splits the, the voters he struggles with the most, the progressive left of the party, who are already criticizing him pretty openly yeah. for past positions. My final question for you is about Kamala Harris, uh, who um, in our Iowa poll, she was in fifth place in that poll. Uh, obviously, as we see Warren rise, it sort of leaves Harris a little bit uh, behind in that um, – we also had a national poll out, I guess, a little more than a week ago, and she was basically tied with Warren. I mean, I'm not suggesting she's flailing in some way, but I, I, I am wondering, does she have the most pressure on her in this moment to be able to keep up her uh, presence in that top tier? Yeah, I mean, I think she's the she's the person who on that on that second night where the four out of five top tier candidates. She probably has the most pressure to to you know separate herself. Maybe even it's just separating herself from Pete Buttigieg, who has who has risen past her in recent months. Um, you know, she's done this recently. She's kind of, or at least she has in Iowa. In Iowa, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in, in Iowa. Um, one way that she has kind of changed her strategy over the last few weeks is by leaning in to this 
prosecutor record. She went to South Carolina and gave a pretty fulsome speech at the NAACP event down there describing her prosecutorial record, which has been an issue mostly from left-leaning activists who see her as as uh, not with the party's base on criminal justice. Too much of a cop. Yeah, that, I mean, much, that's what they say. Yeah, too, rest, much, right? yeah, too much of a cop. And so, so does she do that on the debate stage? Does she try and... Uh, you know, one way that she's done that is by saying we got to prosecute Trump, which has raised questions about, uh, you know, what what does that mean exactly? You know, she's leaned into that in interviews. She did an interview with NPR where she talked about prosecuting him if he's no longer the president. So I, I'm wondering how much she focuses on the president. And obviously that's that's does well with Democratic donors and the base because because more than anything, all they want to do is beat Trump. Can you beat Trump? It's a question they get. Often is she she has gotten often as well, uh, or does she turn her fire and try and hit Sanders and Biden to to raise herself up and to create one of those moments? I know what you're hoping for. You're hoping that they all take each other on and that there's not a lot of Trump bashing. But it's more fun that way. I, Dan, I got to tell you, I think these guys are going to play it safe on this first one. I, I, I uh... but what's what's the strategy behind that? Why? Well, because they've already made the threshold for the second debate. So that's my thinking is they they all know they're going to Detroit basically. Mm -hmm. And so uh, come hot out of the gate, there is a lot of risk for that, that that rebounds in your face. And I I think that um, let's see where those second quarter fundraising numbers are after that first debate. Uh, You also – you can't underestimate the nerves that these people will have stepping onto that stage that first time. And so while they may have prepared to have a punch, they're all of a sudden – those lights are on. You're on the debate stage. You know what a big moment, and you get a little bit of butterflies in your stomach, and you got to feel that out and get comfortable with that. The thing that I'm fascinated by is how they're preparing. And one thing that I've heard is that people are watching debates from 2016, the Republican debates from 2016, where it was just a free for all, and there was those those massive debate stage, and they had a kitty debate and a, a grown up table debate. I just I, I would, I'm it's something I'm going to be thinking about in the next couple of weeks is what are they learning from those debates? Like who's watching Herman Cain and thinking like <laughs> that's the that's the strategy I need to take from. But I, I well, I would just argue if you're looking at uh, Herman Cain as a reference from the 2012 race, but so if, sorry, you're, if you're looking at uh, 15 debates, the, the 2015 yeah. debates, there's nothing comparable because Donald yeah. Trump was on that stage and there's nothing like that in, in these debates. So I think that uh, I don't know how useful that tape will be for them. Uh, Dan America, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's fun. That does it for this edition of The Daily DC. Thank you all so much for listening. Hope you'll tune in again right here on Monday. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.